Hello and welcome to the Heart of the Piano podcast. This is episode three, where we're looking at the brain hemispheres and lateralization. Yaisa, uh, who uh, uh, I did episodes one and two with, unfortunately is super busy now and can't do the third one. But I have another friend now. Uh, so this is Cheryl. Hi, Cheryl. Hi. And thank you very much for doing the third episode with me. This one we're doing at Bechstein Pianos in Manchester, who have been very, very generous in, in um, donating the use of their practice room and a teaching studio so thank you very very much to Beckstein brand new showroom uh, in the center of Manchester thoroughly recommend it if you're uh, England based you want a piano do come to Beckstein fantastic showroom um, and thank you very much Beckstein for, for their support so what we're doing this time in the last two episodes there was a lot of waffly talking and I think that a lot of people may have listened and gone um yeah, well, well, I'm not sure how I can use all that information. So right now, we're sat at a Beckstein Grand Piano, and Cheryl is uh, very kindly and bravely <laughs> agreed to play. And we're going to look at how the stuff that, that I've been talking about with Yaisa, we're, we're going to look at how that can be applied to, to the piano. So um, Cheryl is really, really being brave and uh, learning a brand new piece. And, and you've not looked at this piece before, is that right? No, not at all. Okay. So I think that the, the question that gets asked a lot is how do you apply this stuff in particular to learning a, a brand new piece? So... Um, uh, Cheryl's had a listen to the, the, the episodes uh, in the last few days. And which I, what I'm thinking at the moment is we're just going to go through these things one at a time uh, in the order that they came up in the episodes. So right from the beginning of the first episode, the, the main difference between the two hemispheres is narrow focus, wide focus and what they feel like. So... Cheryl, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's put you Hi. on the spot. <laughs> yes. And uh, how would you normally go about learning? This is Nocturne <laughs> Opus 72, 72, number one. So how would you normally go about learning this? Um, I was taught to learn both hands separately, then put them together, which Ooh. I don't do yes. because I don't like doing that. Yes. <laughs> so I do go both hands in um, and I will start with bar number one and then... Uh, Probably learn the first 16 bars, and then when I feel like they're about-ish there, then I'll carry on. That's <laughs> kind of how I do it. But it takes me forever, so I'm yes. completely up for um, techniques that actually okay. work. <laughs> so I'm going to try not to get drawn down too many rabbit holes here, because yeah. uh, automatically I want to start talking about a whole load of stuff that actually has nothing to do with the brain hemispheres. Um, but what is almost relevant is that there is so much controversy amongst piano teachers of should you learn hands separately or hands together this is so controversial there's a there's a facebook group for piano teachers and this turned into a massive argument (laughs) recently (laughs) people get very heated about this what i will say is that there's one particular study academic study that i'm thinking of where they looked at um people at music conservatoire and they um they basically gave everyone a piece to learn and they, um, they recorded the methods that they used to learn it. They gave them a very limited amount of time. And then they looked at who were the people who play it the best, who were the people who play it the worst, and what were the practice methods that they used. And it turns out that learning hands together was one of the most, like almost right from the beginning, was one of the most successful strategies. That does not mean, though, that you should always learn hands together. I think it depends on what you're doing. But what I will say is that I think that once you've reached a certain level, like let's say, 
let's just say um, around grade five, although that, that could be arguable, but let's say grade five onwards. In my opinion, this is just my opinion, you probably want to start thinking much more about doing most of your learning hands together. But there are times when you don't want to do that. Massively controversial. But anyway, why is this relevant to brain hemispheres? Because um, the right brain hemisphere generally does both sides of the body. So when someone has had a left brain hemisphere stroke or or a tumour, so they've only got the right brain hemisphere working in in the motor cortex, the, the part that controls how we move, people can generally very quickly move both sides of their body. If someone has a right uh, has right brain hemisphere damage, meaning they're only having the use of their left brain hemisphere, they lose the ability to move the left-hand side of their body. So the right brain hemisphere is much better at controlling both sides of the body. And what we were looking at in terms of the differences between the hemispheres, the right brain hemisphere is very good at doing a whole load of things all at the same time. So when we're learning hands together, by definition, that's more going on at the same time. If we're just doing one hand at a time, it's slightly more narrow focused. It's slightly more like a left brain hemisphere way of doing it. Now, that's okay. That's fine. Sometimes we need to do that. But I'm going to keep coming back to this point that a lot of the time people get stuck in the left brain hemisphere. And I think that wherever possible, we want to try being in the right hemisphere. So I think from the beginning... Let's try both hands together. But if there's something then that's really tricky and it's just not going to happen and the the right brain hemisphere gets overwhelmed, then go to like hand separate strategy. So anyway, that's that's a, a, a lot of waffling and stuff. But so all of the other stuff about where we should start in the piece, start at the beginning, start at the end, that's a total red herring. I'm going to try and avoid those for the moment. So let's start um, looking at this piece for the very first time. And the aim here is going to be uh, for you, Cheryl, to notice how right brain um, am I being? How left brain am I being? And, and this, in this particular context uh, about, well, how narrow focused do I feel? How, how broad focused do I feel? I feel completely narrow focused. Okay. Even before I touch the piano, I can tell you exactly how I'm feeling. I'm narrow focused, slightly panicking. <laughs> because this is not, a, can I point out, this is not a sight reading exercise, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I'm yeah. terrible at sight reading. So I just want to put that out there. But I, yeah, I can, already, I can already feel in my body that I'm like, what's the first note? What is the fir- first bar doing? And I, I haven't even considered the second bar. Hmm. You know, now, straight away. Now, if you were at home on your own. Yeah. Would you find it much easier to look at it and go, okay, what's the first note? And then, and not be in such a narrow focus. Is it basically the fact that you're being recorded? There's, there's like a, a teacher figure that's, that's bringing that narrow focus on. Yeah. So I'm much more narrow focused because the, 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 because we're recording, Mm. but thinking about it being at home when I'm relaxed in my own space, I am much more like, okay, let's just see where this goes and just we'll just right. go straight into it and then I just kind of feel it and then, oh, that's a really hard bar. I'll come back to that later. Yes, <laughs> That yes. kind of thing, yeah. So excellent points, excellent points. And yes, when we feel under pressure, when we feel judged and um, we are recording for a podcast and I don't know about all you guys, but the moment that I record myself for anything some part of my brain somewhere is imagining somebody judging me. <laughs> That's just inevitable. So um, I'm much better uh, when I'm performing piano. I'm, I'm very practiced at recognizing that feeling 
and just putting it to the side and going, okay, of course I feel like someone could judge me, but I don't care. And the way that I put this to my students, it's like, imagine a person who you have not really much respect for because they're perhaps a bit a bit silly, then they're, they're not very good at stuff. Maybe they've annoyed you. But, but basically, if they were to come up, if they were to stand next to you and stand over your shoulder, and as you were playing, this person would be, well, you're no good, are you? And well, that's rubbish. And well, that's no good. And God, you've, you, uh, and, and they were criticizing you. Can you think of someone who you, in, in your mind's eye, you could go, well, who are you? Who are you? I'm not going to take that seriously. <laughs> Precisely, yes, exactly, yeah. And, and, and I think that this is what I've practiced all my life doing, which is that when I'm uh, practicing and, and performing, we all have a voice in our heads that goes, well, that's not good enough and that's no good. We all internalize all that kind of stuff. But we have a choice. We can choose to go, well, well who are you? I, I'm not going to respect your negative opinion of me. I actually like what I'm doing. I think what I'm doing is great. Yeah, you're just some voice of something that I'm not going to listen to because we cannot make that voice go away. That no. voice will always be there. Yep. But we can just choose to give it no regard. <laughs> yeah. So uh, does it help? And, and I think that that's something that's going to be really useful to do. And, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm now holding you back from playing. Because yeah. before we even start to play, yes, it's really useful to go the, oh my God, I'm already feeling in a narrow focus. What can we do about this? And all of the stuff that, that me and Yaisa spoke about in the first two episodes, we're now going to look at in a very practical way of how can we start using these things to change our focus before we even start to play. So... You're feeling in a narrow focus, and part of that narrow focus is uh, a sense of um, pressure and being judged because we're, we're recording. Does it help that you can imagine a kind of whatever that judgmental voice or person might be that might be in the back of your imagination to start going, well, who are you? I've, I'm not going to put anything in that. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's what I was, I'm starting to do at the meetups. Well, okay. before performing, you yes. know, just kind of going up. Um, one of the things that I do is talk to the audience because I like talking <laughs> and it actually calms me down. And I'm like, OK, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. But then when I'm sat at the piano and you have that moment before you start playing yeah. in that moment, I'm like really trying to not get rid of that feeling, but like try and be like, I'm going to ignore you. I don't need that. Yes. yes. Yeah. And one, I'm just going to throw this in as an extra thing. One really good way of ignoring that voice is very often the voice comes as a result of a physical feeling in our body. When we are feeling under pressure and we're feeling insecure and unsure of ourselves, which we all have as human beings, very often that feeling is a tangible thing somewhere in the body. So would you know, Cheryl, where that feeling is and what that feels like without going into the thoughts and mental labels surrounding it? So for me, it feels like an electric current that's going through every part of me. Really? I can feel everything. <laughs> it's like a, yeah, it's like an energy just going like very, very tingly. Okay. That's what it feels like. Yeah. That's interesting. And then is it possible just to notice and be really curious about those sensations? But... Um, resist being pulled into labeling and and explaining what those sensations mean um i'm not sure i haven't really could, could you it. be curious and go into that sensation and sort of go in and go yeah let, let me explore more what that feels like 
without maybe the usual fear that might be attached to it? Because normally I'm going to guess you try and push it away and run away from it. Yeah. But, but what if you just let it be there and lose the, the normal interpretation that you give it, that this is you feeling kind of um, nervous or under attack or judged, but, you, but oh, you're I just see. like, oh, well, well, what is this feeling? Let me just explore it. So almost like breaking the, the association of the feeling with what it means yes. to me. So yes. breaking that. So just but, kind of But breaking it is like an active thing. And I'm not saying I'm not saying try to break it. I'm just saying be curious and just just actually go into the feeling and explore well what is it? Don't try and mm. break anything. It's more just like, well, what actually physically does this feel like? And then yeah. you explore the experience of, of it physically, but without the usual mental labels and interpretation. Yeah, exactly. And so that is that is something that I'm trying to do so much more with performing now. Yes. As an adult after, I don't know, I think the last time I performed was eight, when I was 18 and I'm yeah. like 33. <laughs> um, so it's been a long, long time. And when I was 18 and lower, I was terrified this feeling would be there. But yes. I would be saying in my head, I am terrified. Yeah. I don't want to do this. Why am I sat here? This is going to go wrong. You know, oh, I just want this to be over. And, you know. Yes. Yeah. Whereas now I'm really trying to be more mindful to be like, yes, okay, this is how I'm feeling. Accept how you're feeling, but you want to do this. <laughs> yes. Does that make sense? So, so yeah. coming back to the left brain hemisphere, the right brain hemisphere thing, the left brain hemisphere is the thoughts, is the thoughts and the labeling that, oh, these sets of, these sets of very subtle experiences is this one thing which is nerves and, and it has a label and it has a thought and, and it's verbal, mm -hmm. it has words. Whereas the right brain hemisphere experience, it's like, well, let me actually just go into the body and go, well, what is this thing? And it's just curious. And then um, the right to the right brain hemisphere, it isn't just a, a one thing that, that has words. It's like, a, oh, it's all over the body and it's constantly changing. And then before we know it, that sensation doesn't have any um, negative effects on us anymore. And, and actually, this is why so much of the time I'm going to keep coming back to Buddhism in future episodes, Buddhism and mindfulness, because this is literally what Buddhism and mindfulness does. It's about stopping the labeling and just exploring, well, what just are the sensations in and the uh, the of themselves? And Buddhism teaches you that, that when you go just into the sensations, you lose all of the mental suffering that, that you get the, from the, the way that the left brain hemisphere just labels everything and tries to grasp and control everything. So um, anyway, we're, we're, we're still chatting and you, you still haven't played yet. But um, yes, uh, all of those uh, sensations, could they be excitement that, that you were feeling rather than nervousness? When? Like, like you were describing all that electricity, that tingliness. Is it excitement? Uh, Potentially? <laughs> I, uh, no, I, don't, I, I would be lying if I said it was. <laughs> no, I think it's just fear. Okay. It is very, very, I'm a... I'm a terrified performer and, you know joining these meetups I do look at myself and think what are you doing <laughs> but it's a very very good okay. thing to do I'm getting better yes. at it I'm getting better with dealing with the nerves but I'm I'm excited when I'm there I'm excited to hear other people but I'm not yes. excited to play I'm glad I'm doing it because I'm challenging myself <laughs> but I'm not there being excited yes. I'm not at that level yet yes. as opposed to when I'm dancing then it's just excitement okay yeah what physically is the difference in the sensation of fear and excitement? Um, I suppose 
fear makes you well yeah when I'm feeling this the fear makes you feel really tense and tight and really stuck and excitement is just free you're just like yeah this is fine that's how I feel okay so I'm gonna throw uh, some ideas at you could it be because when you were describing when you were describing that tingly feeling mm-hmm. um, the electricity I didn't get the sense that that you now described about fear of being tense and constrictive. Mm. Could it be that that electricity feeling is underneath the the consequence, and the consequence after that is then the the restriction and the sense of the lack of freedom? So I suppose the feeling in and of itself, just as itself, there's probably there's probably no maybe there's no difference between the feeling of fear and excitement but so immediately your left brain or the voice or yes. whatever it is yes. is there so immediately that you can it makes you feel like they're different yes yes does that make sense yes yeah. yes um have you heard of the amygdala yes uh so oh gosh i have to choose my words really carefully here because for, for many people describe the amygdala as the part of the brain that deals with anxiety and fear it's not actually that straightforward, like <laughs> like all of these neuroscience things. Let's just for the moment just sum it up as sort of anxiety and fear, although it actually is way more sophisticated than that. It's not quite that. The difference between anxiety and performing, and I, I remember, I can't remember where it was, but someone was talking about this, that when we're feeling really apprehensive and nervous and when we're feeling excited about something, physiologically in the body, it is exactly the same. The only thing that's different is that the amygdala has activated in a different way and has said, there's something to be afraid of here. Mm -hmm. But in the body, it's exactly the same feeling, most people think. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. But then another thing that we can do, and this is, again, coming back to Buddhism. You're you're going to play in a minute. No, no, that's fine. (laughs) coming, Coming back to Buddhism and mindfulness, one of the most useful things that we can learn from meditation is that If we want to be calm, if we want to have all the things that people normally associate with with meditation and and Buddhism, which is, you know, like happiness, calmness, tranquility, all of those things, really the route to that in meditation is by embracing every single physical sensation. If you don't do that, you won't get there. Mm. Meditation is the art of accepting and embracing everything. The more that everything gets embraced the more we naturally find that state of being. What we don't do is sit down and go, right, I am going to be calm now and close our eyes and force ourselves to be calm. That just doesn't happen. Um, The the less calm we are, the more we have to embrace and feel utterly the parts of ourselves that normally we try and push away um, and be afraid of. And only once we felt them, do they then go away and we feel calm. Meditation is an excellent way to deal with really difficult emotions. And in my experience, um, it's been very useful for me in my life. Although if I sit down and try and get rid of difficult emotions by meditating, they won't disappear. You have to sit down and be willing to open up completely to them. Feel them fully, embrace them, accept them. And when you do that, they disappear, they flow, Mm. They, they just go. So... When you're describing feeling fearful before a performance, what can be really useful is to embrace the fear. (laughs) Yeah. 
And that is really, I think, what 99% of professionals do. Because I think a lot of people have this illusion, this belief that that what professional musicians do when they get up on the stage is they're just like, yeah, I can do this. It's fine. I've got this. But all the professional musicians that I've known, and I've been a professional music photographer, and so, you know, I've um, photographed musicians in sound checks and I talk to them. That fear never goes away. <laughs> They're always terrified. The, the difference is that you learn how to manage that sensation of fear. Can I ask a question with professional, well, not just professional musicians, but anybody who feels, I suppose, comfortable yeah. <laughs> with performing is, is it the, is, is the fear right up until they start playing and then they're, they're able, as soon as they're playing, to just get into the zone and then it, they just let it go completely and they're no longer in fear? Because my fear carries on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it, it really depends on the musician. And it's not a question I've directly asked a musician. But I think I'm pretty good at tuning into other people's state of mind, which is something I use when I teach. And when I'm teaching, I very, very hard go, what state of mind is this Is this person in and where do I think, where should they be? Um, in the same way that when we're talking to a friend, we go, what, what state of mind is my friend in? So anyway, when, when I watch good professionals, I think that yes, that, that nervousness is there until the moment that they're playing mm. and then there's a sense of flow. However, I'd say that some professionals probably then, that's it, that fear is gone. But mm, I, I don't know, I'd say that would be relatively rare. And I would say that most professionals sometimes will still have some fear. And it's probably unpredictable when it's going to be there. Mm. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's unpredictable. Um, and I think that for most professionals, having 100% um, just in the flow with no sensations of of anxiety and fear as they're playing ever, I think that's going to be relatively rare. But it, it, I think it's on the continuum. And are we talking about, well, solo pianists in particular here as opposed yes. to like a guitarist in a band who I just feel yes. like doesn't have any fear at all because yes. it's a completely different Oh, I mean, I, I am, I am a, an electric guitarist. Yeah. I have zero fear when I play guitar, zero, absolutely zero. So it is this instrument. Um, <laughs> what it is, what it is, and, and um, uh, everyone says this, yeah. when you play with other musicians, it's so much easier to not have fear. Yeah. So anything where you're playing on your own, true. there's so much more fear involved. But when I'm playing with other people, like, you know, I used to play viola. And when I played viola in string quartets or in orchestras, there's zero fear. You're playing with other people. There's yeah. no fear. But when you're playing on your own, it's very hard not to have fear. That's very true. I used to play the flute when I was a lot younger. And um, obviously, as a, when you're playing, you tend to have a piano accompaniment with you. And even that was enough to take the edge off the fear yes. as much. But there was always something about solo piano, yes. particularly classical, Yes. that's puts the fear of God yes. into everyone. <laughs> and, and I think um, solo jazz piano, for example, would have less fear in it as well. And, yeah. Uh, but that, that's, uh, that's another that's a thing, whole yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to get drawn into that. <laughs> um, but, um, I mean, yeah, you know, when I was saying just now, calling it fear, it's not fear. It's more like nerves. nerves because yeah. fear is the label that we give it. And I'm thinking of, of one particular performance that I gave um, a while ago, which was um, uh, to do with one of Ben's meetups. And, and, um, and I was playing last, and it wasn't one of the normal meetups. This is like a proper concert. And the piece that I'd chosen was um, quite nerve-wracking, and I'd had a big memory lapse in a, in a performance not that long before, and so I was quite nervous about it. 
And, um, and I remember sitting there just getting increasingly nervous and then thinking to what, what worked for me in that particular moment was I'm getting on a roller coaster. I'm waiting to get like literally onto a roller coaster and I'm, and I'm imagining it is actually literally going to be a roller coaster. Not, I'm not going to get up and perform. It's, it's like the feeling that you get before you are going to go into a real roller coaster. And to me, it's exactly the same feelings in my body. So when I can, re- when I can be comfortable with the sensations in my body, your brain stops labeling it as fear. It's when you feel, it's when you start to get overwhelmed with that, that electricity, the feelings in your stomach, the mm. feeling in your chest, and you go, I don't like these sensations. Yeah. Stop. I do not want these sensations. Your brain then goes, fear. Yes. So if we can go, no, I'm going to enjoy these sensations and I'm just going to, I'm going to reframe what these sensations are as, as something different. And I'm going to imagine something really exciting with these exact same physical sensations. Suddenly it's way more manageable. Mm. Well, it's still not comfortable, but, um, but like, I think a lot of the time, and I, I, I'm sorry, I'm talking so much, but, no, no. but so much of what we as human beings try to do in our lifetimes is to be comfortable. And yeah, Cheryl, in your lifetime, think about all the most amazing things that you've experienced and how many of them happened when you were comfortable. Hardly any of them. Yeah. They're always the ones that you push yourself out yeah. of your comfort zone. Exactly. And you always question, why didn't I do that sooner? <laughs> always. Yes, yeah. yes. So... I think when people don't want to perform or they don't or they feel they don't want to learn an instrument um, or they don't want to learn a piece that's difficult or they, you know, all these kinds of things. It's worth just reminding ourselves that all the most amazing things that happen in our life happen when we are not in our comfort zone and performing is something that is not comfortable. And if we embrace not feeling comfortable and actually like in a, in a very meditative, mindful state of mind, and I, I mean that in, in the sense of loving and embracing all the physical sensations and not pushing them away and, and having compassion for them and just letting yourself have them, suddenly that becomes maybe not instantly fun, but, but it becomes manageable. Anyway, Let's come back to okay. this nocturne. Um, how do you feel now looking at these? Okay. Uh, does, um, uh, I mean, maybe not comfortable. Does it feel more broad focus? Yeah, I do. I think I've just kind of gotten into the feeling that we're recording. So I feel yes, yes. Yeah, a little bit more. Like... Sorry, I suddenly want to jump, jump in with more stuff. Yaisa was saying uh, in, in the, uh, I can't remember which episode, but she was saying that it's much easier to be broad focused when we've learned the piece and we feel more confident with it. Yes. And I was saying, well, yes, obviously we can do it that way around. Or we can learn to be confident before we even start. And then we learn it quicker and we learn it better. Now, hopefully you feel now more broad focused. Do you get an intuitive sense that you're going to learn it more easily now before you've even started it? Um. Yeah, actually. Yeah, I do. <laughs> okay. Just because you feel more relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. And um, stress and tension actually does interfere with the brain's ability to learn stuff. Uh, cortisol, I think, does inhibit memory formation. So, um, and cortisol is what, what we have when we're stressed. And uh, so, yeah, let, let's go for it. Completely makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> Oops. 
Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, stop you at, at this moment, and um, you're so brave. So thank you so much for for being brave enough to to put yourself through this. <laughs> so something that, that I'm noticing now, you're you're learning this piece for the very first time, and it seemed like you could play that left the notes in the left hand in the first bar. They sounded like you you knew what you were doing. I was quite surprised how that yes. it sounded. I was like, oh, okay. But what it did sound like was no, 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 yeah. no, no. And I'm going to suggest that actually, you know, um, intuitively, how that would feel to your fingers, to to your body as you play it in your mind, in your ear. How that feels as groups of notes rather than this note, this note, this note, mm-hmm. this note, because that's very left brain. Yeah, definitely. And as I was playing through that, my focus got narrower and narrower and narrower <laughs> and narrower. It just I could see like the tunnel closing yeah. in. <laughs> but what is great, what is what is absolutely brilliant is that most people who who uh, who I teach wouldn't even be able to tell me that they had recognized that their attention had narrowed. It just happens without them even realizing. Right, okay. So the fact that you even knew that happened yeah. is superb. My brain stopped working. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's why the first bar I was like, oh, I can do this. And then I played something wrong and then my yes. focus went in and then I was like, yes. what's my name? Yes. You know, like yes. that kind of... <laughs> now, what I, what I would like to experiment with is that um, yeah, when, when we feel under pressure, what naturally happens is that our attention narrows. Now, w- the whole point of, some, uh, of, of all of the concepts that I explored with y- Yaisa in the last two episodes, plus a whole load more that I haven't even touched on yet, is that if we look at any of those, if we look at any of the features to do with the right brain hemisphere, looking at any of them is a tool to help us come back out of that left brain hemisphere and back into the right brain hemisphere. So, like, let me ask you a question, Cheryl. Okay. When you were coming back into the, the, this narrow focus, because it's, it sounded like a narrow focus, dum, dum, mm-hmm. dum, dum. did you feel that you needed to come to that narrow focus on each note? Um, probably, because I actually, my hand has no idea where it's going. But I think that it does. And I think that, that, in a sense, you don't kind of trust it enough. Oh, yeah, no, definitely no. Because certainly once you, <laughs> once, once you played, the, the, once you played it the first time, it shouldn't need the same amount of focus and narrow focus the, the second time. So, for example, just play the first six notes of the left hand. Mm-hmm. What, is that? what are they? <laughs> <laughs> and then what does it do again after that? It's the same. Now, I will, I will bet that when you did that before, you kind of, your left brain thought just as hard about the, those six notes the second time you played them as the first time, yes. which is unnecessary. No, it isn't necessary. But, <laughs> but it's I'm what a the left really brain does. Slow learner. That, and maybe it's because the left brain just jumps in. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. It's not you. It's like your left brain. Okay. Um, and I think that, you know, that you, you also have a right brain that is capable of doing this much more quickly if the left brain lets go and lets it. Mm. So let's look at some of the other characteristics. Well, well, actually, I mean, straight away, you know, we have um, narrow focus, wide focus. What is it like? And, and your left brain might hate this. Your left brain might just be like kicking and screaming and tantruming that it doesn't want to do this. What's it like if you play from the beginning 
and become more consciously aware of everything in your peripheral vision. So, so without actually looking, like focusing on everything around the room, but you just look at everything out of the corner of your eye, all in your peripheral vision. You see the, the walls, you see the, uh, yeah, the, the blue wall over here, you, you see the floor, you see yeah. the ceiling. And as you're playing from the beginning, you become more aware of everything in your peripheral vision, which will feel so counterintuitive because you'll feel, but this is hard. How is it going to become easier if I actually overwhelm myself by becoming more aware of other stuff in my visual field? But try it, see what happens. Okay. Okay, we'll try it. <laughs> okay. So. It's really hard to even do it before you play. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. really hard because my brain's just like notes, play. Yes, yes. You know, so I'll, I'll try. It's very difficult. I can't. Not yet. Okay. Oh, so. that's really hard. <laughs> that is so difficult. So when I'm learning a piece. Yes. Yeah. Now th this this wasn't in the order that I wanted to do it in, but something that I nag my students about all the time is about interoceptive awareness, and I think I I might have brought up this word interoception in the previous episode. So interoception is being aware of the sensations inside our body, as opposed to extraceptive awareness, which is just awareness of everything outside of our bodies, which is usually vision. Vision is like everything that's, that's outside. Um, I think vision really is the extraceptive sense. Um, uh, and then, um, uh, like I was saying just before to, um, to Cheryl, sometimes my students think they're being interoceptive, but really they're just thinking about their body, thinking about the inside of your body and directly experiencing the sensations in your body are different things. Now, when you're playing the left hand at the beginning, mm. how aware are you of how it feels to your fingers, your fingertips, all the joints of your fingers, your hands, your wrist, your arm? Because the reason why your left brain keeps staring at the notes and staring at your hand is because you're not learning what it feels like. And when you learn what it feels like, you don't have to think about it so hard. Mm -hmm. it, it's, um, so play from the beginning and if you can, let go of caring about how, you know, don't worry if you make wrong notes. Okay. Um, it's okay if, you, if there are wrong notes every now and then. Um, the number one focus right now is going to be go inside your fingers, inside your hand, inside your wrist, inside the, the arm and the elbows. Okay. Okay. Now, yeah. How how do you feel, Cheryl? Doesn't matter. How how do you feel? <laughs> um, that felt better. Yes. It felt easier yes. a little bit. Yeah. And I see this happen all the time with my students, that they come to a new piece and immediately what they want to do is stare at everything to learn it. But, yeah. but what I do with, with, with a new piece is the first thing I want to do is start to get to know how it feels because feeling is the most important way to start learning something. And it's the easiest. 
Um, because if you're not feeling it, you are having to read every single note and then go, and then that finger goes there, and then that finger goes there, <laughs> that finger goes there. That's that's too slow. <laughs> um, and also, do you remember what I was saying to Yaisa uh, in one of the episodes about when we're left brain, the keyboard in front of us is just like 88 keys. It's just like 88 black and white keys. And we see and uh, we look at the sheet music. We see that we have to play an E and we look down. We look for the note E and then the finger goes on that note E as opposed to the right brain that just feels, oh, it's, it's, it's a three dimensional object. And this E is in three dimensional space in front of me. Now, I'm going to bet that when you're a little bit narrow focused learning this new piece, you don't feel the piano is a three dimensional object. You're just like it has to go to this this map of these keys there and your finger goes there. That's not a quick way of learning. That's a slow, painfully slow way of learning, which is very left brain and narrow focus. Mm -hmm. And and also all of these things I'm saying, these are natural, normal things. Do not feel bad about any of them. This is like Mm -hmm. all my students get, get pulled into this. And actually, when I learn a piece that particularly intimidates me, I get sucked more into this way of approaching it if I'm not careful. So it's just human. This is just totally human. Because can I ask you a question about this? Because this is learning a piece like straight. I've never played this before. Okay, so I'm a poor sight reader as well. Sorry, I hate sight reading. Well, you seem all right, but anyway. Uh, uh, No, I'm really awful. (laughs) (laughs) That's one hand. It's one hand and one rhythm. It's okay, (laughs) and I'm okay with chords, so it helps. Um, But um, it's it's hard to be. I feel like it's really hard to be in a right brain. If you're, if you just completely don't know where your fingers are going at all, so I, 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 I can't. I, as I say, I can't sight read very well. So I, I need to be like, okay, so these these notes are coming together, or whatever it is, you know. So yeah, I, it's hard to be right brain straight away. Um, see, the thing is, though, there's so many possible answers to that, and yeah. different people are going to have different reasons for why they feel that way. Mm. I'm going to suspect that actually you do know where they are. It's just that you tell yourself you're not a good sight reader. You go in the narrow focus. And as a result of being in narrow focus, you then don't know where the notes are. And um, like in my own experience, I used to do so much sight reading. And sight reading is one of these things that if you don't do it a lot, you, you, you're not that good at it anymore. And so I found in recent years, because I just don't do it that much anymore. I don't accompany, me, uh, I don't accompany people that much anymore. Uh, I used to play in loads of chamber groups. I don't do it that much anymore. And there was a time when I was like being really bad at sight reading. And I was like, why am I so bad at it? And then I realized the reason why I was really, really bad at sight reading was I was telling myself I was really bad. And when I started doing it, I would go in a panicked, narrow focus. And as a result of being in a panicked, narrow focus, I couldn't do it. And when I started just going, no, you can do this, you can do this, Bob. And, and just um, mindfully um, relaxing my gaze so that I was seeing more of the page in one go. I'm like, oh, my God, I can sight read again. Mm, So um, now that might not be the case with you. It might not be the case with other people, but that will work sometimes. Now, something else that comes up so often in my students, which is the reason why they're not sight reading well, is that when we get in a narrow focus, um, certainly when my um, less advanced students get in a narrow focus, they start reading the notes one by one without 
a sense of the context of the notes around them. So, for example, play the first note of the melody, um, Cheryl, in the right hand. Now, when you play the next note, how do you read the next note? Do you read that from scratch? Um, re read them from scratch? So, so, so when you play... Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm the octave higher because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sat to the right. And then we go... Now, yeah. when you then play those notes afterwards, can you sort of think, how, how do you know what those notes are? How do you read them? Do you read F sharp, E, D sharp? No. Okay. No, I don't. Okay. No, I, you, you follow, oh, that one's pattern. one down, that one's one yeah, down. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Now, that, um, basically not doing what you just described, is going to be the reason why a lot of people listening to this episode right now, that's going to be a lot of the reason why they will find it hard to sight read and can't just, you know, go in a right hemisphere state because they are used to sight reading going this note here and then this note here and then this note here and not actually seeing how they all join together in the pattern. So already you're describing what a good sight reader does. You're, you're looking horizontally. You join, you, you look, oh, that goes down one, that goes down one, that goes down mm. another one. So, um, yeah, I, I, and then in that respect, I think you're a good sight reader. Um, Interesting. Something that makes it hard to sight read is when we're in the left brain hemisphere state, it's very hard to read rhythm. Rhythm doesn't really exist to the left brain hemisphere. <laughs> and so when you're in the left brain hemisphere, oh, I'm sight reading, I'm not good at sight reading and, and everything narrows, that actually makes it hard to recognize rhythmic patterns. And that in itself might be part of the reason why you're finding that difficult. If you were to keep on learning this, would you be able to tell me the stages at which you go, yeah, I, I don't know where that note is. And this is where I don't know. This is where uh, I'm feeling uncomfortable in finding the notes. Uh, sorry, what do you mean? So, uh, and you might need to play it to be able to answer that. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so you said like, yeah, I, I, it's hard to be right brain because you're not sure where all the notes are. Play it and then tell me where it is that you're, that, that, that feeling is strongest, where you, you feel you can't sigh read it because in a right brain hemisphere state because you don't know where the notes are. So you know where, do I mean? I, where do I feel it in my body when I get to that no, point? No, no, no. Where actually, where in the music? Ah, okay. where, where are the notes that, you, that you're finding difficult? Yeah, well, actually, I could tell you before. Okay, <laughs> I can okay. tell you now, actually, it was okay. this. <laughs> so this, so we, we have this and then we have... But that's, that's not difficult. But it, I've been sat here whilst you've been talking thinking, where does that go? These two, this F, F sharp to the E... But it's because these are of, these must be triplets. Yes. To fit in. But because nowhere there's a little three anywhere, I was like, are they? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, now, 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 that's another sort of instance where to the right brain hemisphere, the way that all fits together is kind of fairly obvious. But to the left brain, like looking at one note in the, yeah. uh, at a time and then getting there, it's like suddenly, huh, what's going on here? Good sight readers would... would just approach the music and they'd scan the first few bars and immediately notice like all the rhythmic patterns and notice that the last beat of bar two is duplets in the right hand and triplets in the left hand. Yeah. And yes, it doesn't say triplets in the left hand, but, uh, uh, you know, someone who's a good sight reader would already have seen that. Mm -hmm. You can be a good sight reader. So when I'm saying that someone who's a good sight reader would do that, why would they do that? It's broad focus. It's they'd mm. sit down and immediately have a broad focus view of what's going on. And you didn't spot that because you weren't in a broad focus. Well, 
so initially, my I I, well, I I know the sound of that as well. Mm. So I can see that that note doesn't you know that this this e comes in between here somewhere the the c yes. and the b in the left hand. But it's like that it's either that voice or your left hand or your left hand your left brain that comes in and goes, is it? And it's that <laughs> yes. doubt. It's that is. It, do, yes. you, do you want to check that? Yes. Yeah. I'm also going to throw in something else which is slightly, slightly unconnected with um, the brain hemispheres. But this is a habit that, that I try to get all my students to have. I can't remember if we, we've chatted about this. One of the strongest habits that I think any student should have is to be able to look at the music that they are reading from and immediately visualise a, a visual grid of where the beats are. So um, I'm being very mindful that this is an audio-only podcast. So I'm going to sort of describe um, what's going on in this nocturne. Um, the, you, you've got one bar where the left hand is in triplets, one and the two and the three and the four. And a, do you want to just play it and I'll count as long yeah. as you do that? One, one and uh, oh, two. Oh, wrong <laughs> <Okay>. notes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that doesn't matter. Go okay. One and a two and a Three and uh, four and uh, a one. So, so basically, um, if I was reading that, and um, the way that I encourage all my students to th- to visualize this as they're looking at it, it's like you just see a visual, mm. virtual, maybe like a dotted line or something that just marks this is beat one. So where the first note is, that's beat one. The beginning of the next set of triplets, that's beat two. That's beat three. That's beat four. And the reason why you do that is so that then you can feel in your body, here's beat one, here's beat two, here's beat three. And then as I'm doing that, uh, Cheryl's swaying left and right, I'm swaying left and right. And this is something I get my students to do a lot of as well, which is actually to move your body in time with the beat. Um, Usually left and right is better, uh, I find. But yeah, sometimes my students get very, very annoyed and uncomfortable when I make them sway left and right when they're playing. But again, one of the reasons for this is that when we're in the left brain hemisphere dominated state, it does not want the body to move left and right because it gets totally overwhelmed. That's only really something that can happen when we're more in our right brain hemisphere and lots of things can happen at the same time. Now, if we're not feeling the pulse in our body and if we don't see where the, where the beats are uh, on the page, it's going to be really hard to, to read the rhythms and for the, the music to have a flow and a pulse. But it's important that we feel it in the body. And when we're just reading the notes one by one and it's narrow focused and left brain hemisphere, almost by definition, we're not feeling the pulse. We don't know where the beats are. We're not, we're not feeling it. What, what do you think about that, Cheryl? Yeah, no, completely agree. Okay. Yeah. So what's it like if you now read from the beginning and feel in your body like sort of a swaying left and right that you feel where the, the beats are and you, see, you, you can see where the beginning of each beat is as you're reading? Okay, so, <laughs> so the line, the line in, in that fourth beat of the mm-hmm. second bar, can you show me on the page, and then I'm going to describe to people who are listening, where you're uh, pointing. Show me the line that goes through the fourth beat in the second bar. Okay. Right. 
Right. So it goes through the, that F, F in the sharp. F sharp in the melody and the E in the left hand. Now, the thing is, I knew that you weren't seeing that line because when you got there, you played the E on the beat and then the F sharp came later as if it was one of the triplet notes. Yeah. So in other words, you hadn't seen that line. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not going to get into this too much because this is this actually needs some visuals to to kind of describe it. And I'll do this maybe in a in a future YouTube um, uh, episode or something where I can show like th mm. this is such a useful way to read. But then something that I noticed then is it went back to no 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 no. Yeah, it will. And um, even when you're looking for the lines of where this is, it's something that you can still see with a broad focus. Like imagine literally there are lines going through. Um, where each beat is, can you see, can you sort of see maybe the entire top line, but all with uh, with lines going through where the beats are, so that you're not actually narrow focusing on anything. Well, I, I can see it when I'm not playing, but then because this top line isn't actually that difficult. Okay. So what happens but, when you start playing? Um, it, it it honestly just becomes a where are my fingers going? Okay. Yeah. Is it hard where your fingers are going? No, not really. But I mean, it might be a little bit. I mean, like maybe <laughs> maybe we can identify what specifically is it that pulls you away from a broad focus when you're playing? What like which is there one particular note that pulls you away and pulls you into a narrow focus. Like if you start right from the first note, can you play the first note from a broad focus and notice where do you get sucked out of that broad focus? It's pretty much when the right hand comes in, I think. What is it? It's okay, wrong notes don't matter. Okay, so something I'm noticing here, and this is something that, that we, we've chatted about a little bit before on other occasions. And, and, and I always know when my students are in the narrow focus, because when I start talking, they don't stop. It's like they're, 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 they're just glued. <laughs> <laughs> um, something I was noticing is that when you look at your left hand for some of the notes, and there are some jumps, when you, when you glance <laughs> down to place your left hand, you're still looking when you play the note. That's unnecessary. And um, this is something I'll talk about on future episodes. If we're ever looking at our finger at the moment when it actually pushes the note down, chances are we're in the narrow focus. I'm going to bring in something new that I didn't talk about in any of the, uh, in the first two episodes of this particular series. This is that there's a very particular quirk of the left brain hemisphere, um, which is that it has a gluey, sticky quality. Um, at least I don't think I mentioned this in an earlier episode. So there's an episode, um, uh, there's, uh, there's an example in Ian McGilchrist's book where he describes someone who had right hemisphere damage. And every time he walked through a doorway, he'd get obsessed with the hinge. I think it was the hinge or something like that. And he just, as he tried walking through it, he'd get stuck and be staring at it until someone had to come and rescue him and move him and take his attention away from the hinge. And this is what happens to the left brain hemisphere. We know we're in a left brain hemisphere state when we look at something and then just keep staring at it and can't take our eyes away from it. And when I think of people who don't sight read well, the reason, one of the very common reasons they don't sight read well is 
when they play a note, they look at it and they keep looking at it when they've played it, but they're still looking at it <laughs> <laughs> because the left brain, that's just, that's just what happens. We, it it just gets glued. And I recognize it from my playing uh, when, when I'm learning something really, really difficult and I feel intimidated by it and, uh, and, uh, and I'm judging myself. It, it, you know, it's very common. So this is very, very hard because it's a habit. It, and, and the whole definition of this is it's glued, it's stuck, and uh, it's really hard to unglue it, to unstick it. So one strategy, one strategy that I use sometimes when, when I'm practicing is to actually play incredibly slowly, like really slowly, look for the note I'm about to play, and then make sure I'm then looking at the next note afterwards as I play the note then that I'm playing. So for example... Mm. You know, we can start it um, from the beginning. The very first note there is an E. You look at the E, but then before you play it, you look at the B. And then, and whoa, 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 whoa. But then when you play the B, you should then be looking at the G. And then when you play the G, you're looking at the E. You are going way too fast to be able to do that. Do you know right, what I mean? Okay, so. It has to be slow. Okay, ah, that's right, right, really yeah. hard, yeah. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, and then also maybe because you're looking back at the sheet music, you were looking back at the sheet music after every single note. Is there, is there could you do it just, could you look back at the sheet music every three notes? Because I, I think you can memorize three notes and then <laughs> look down, you know, E, B, G, then look up for the next three. No, 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 but, but, but don't look back up. So, so okay, well, so what, I, what I'm suggesting... Now, when, whoa, 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 so, so yeah, too, too, too fast. But when you were playing those first three notes, did you like um, look at the E, then you look at the B before you play the E, then you look at the G before you play the B? Were you, were you always one ahead? No. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is what I mean. You have to go slow, slow, yeah. slow, slow. And really, you know, these are brand new habits for your eyes. And something that I believe is that your eyes have muscle memory just as much as your fingers do. Oof, yes. This is this is uh, thirty. How many years of bad habits? <laughs> so that's still pretty fast. So are, are you managing to stay one ahead, and you're yeah, never yeah, looking yeah. at the note that you're playing? Yeah. that's impressive. If we're playing something where our hands are shifting all the time, the moment we start looking at it as we play is generally where we start to create problems for ourselves. And I would say that. Most of the people who I watch, um, like let's say at the meetup groups, uh, amateurs, who fall apart in particular moments and go, I could play this at home and now I can't play it. <laughs> yeah. One of the reasons for this is getting into a narrow focus where you start looking at your fingers as you're playing. And that's just like, that's deadly. That immediately, um, I can pretty much tell when someone is about to have a massive memory slip because they start staring at what their hand is doing and it completely disrupts our sense of what's coming next. Um, yeah. But anyway, let's let's keep um, moving with with some of these um, ideas. Um, so, going in order from the first episode, we can use raw experience from the senses. So, if you play from the beginning, how much of a sense do you have of just sound as sound of just the colour of the notes. If you've never heard a piano in your life, it's like, oh, listen to that. It's like, oh, you've been deaf all your life and you've suddenly mm. had an operation. It's like, oh, I can hear sound. Oh my God, listen to that. 
How much of that do you reckon you've had as you were playing uh, so far today? Oh, uh, none. Okay. Really. Now, what's <laughs> it like if that's going to be the primary focus this time round? That you're going to play,、okay. and you know, don't worry so much about the notes,、mm-hmm. but really listen to this piano. This piano has a unique sound. Um, very, very lovely Bechstein grand piano, and、um, there are four identical Bechstein pianos in the other practice rooms. But they all sound subtly different. So notice all the nuances about this exact one, and notice like just all the subtle colours of of the sound without the mind just going piano or the note. You know, if you know yeah, what I mean.、Okay. And then how it makes you feel.、Mm, well, yeah. <laughs> Oops. So, so what 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 kinds of things are you noticing? Um. So I really enjoy when that comes in. That was、mm. like, oh, that sounds so nice. <laughs> But then, as soon as I was like, played the note wrong, everything、yeah. shut down. Do you, do you hear note color? Do you hear like texture and color? I don't hear color. I mean, mean, colors are very.、Yeah. I don't mean literally. Like, I don't mean literally like synesthetic. No, okay. But what I mean is like not just it's a it's a note on the piano. But, oh no no no, hear, no! Yeah,、um, you hear even、mm. just that. Did you, you notice? Did you notice? The,、mm, <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you notice the sound that the pedal made when you?、Uh, do, do you notice the sounds that the dampeners make and the strings make when you put the pedal down before you play the note? That sound. <laughs> yes, yes. Because that's all、uh, part of it. Not this time. No, not here. When I was practicing earlier, yes. Okay. Because, because, like right now, when、mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, let's do this exercise, and the moment you put your foot down, it's like, wow, that, yeah.、Mm-hmm. I mean, that level of hearing, you notice right, every、okay. single thing. Yeah. So not right now, but then that could be because we're in a slightly odd situation where I'm being recorded. Okay. <laughs> but in but, my practice session、yes. earlier. But then,、I、but then, this like, is something that, that we can do. The more we sort of purposefully go try and. Mm. Go into that state. The, the more we can get away from the things that make us nervous. Nervous is narrow focus. Left brain. The opposite of left brain narrow focus is hearing all the nuance in the sound without labels, without categorization. So,、um, <laughs> do you see what I mean? Yeah. So,、It's... for example, just play the first note, and how much can you feel in just that first note? Oh, I heard it. I heard it then. <laughs> I heard it that time. Now, when you're playing, how much do you keep hearing the note after it's been played?、Um, what, like this E after it comes here? Yes. So, like, especially for pianists, pianists are really bad at this because once we've pressed the key down and the hammer hits the string, we can't control it anymore.、Mm. But to be a good pianist, we've got to still keep actively listening to that note, as if. As if we're a violinist, as if we're a, a, well, almost any other instrument where we can add vibrato, we can we keep playing it, we still have control over it. We don't just、mm. want to stop hearing it just because we've played it. We still keep hearing it. Yeah. So especially if you've got the pedal down by the end of the bar, that's a lot to listen to. Yes. Go for it. Okay. <laughs>、mm. 
<laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Actually, the pedal doesn't even come back up. Okay. Now, here's, here's another question for you. Um, what, what's up? Uh, yeah, I didn't like that, um, keeping the pedal down, but that's probably because I played the wrong, so it's fine. <laughs> I personally wouldn't keep the pedal all the way down through the yeah. bar, but um, and not on this piano, uh, in this room, which is very over-reverberant. Uh, mm. Anyway, okay. are you noticing the acoustics of this piano in this room as you're playing? That's all part of the, the colour mm. and the texture. How much are you noticing the acoustics? Not much. Not here. So, go yeah. for it again. And as well as noticing... Um, the the notes once you've played them. Also, notice just the acoustics. Yeah. Okay. What did you think of the tone colour of the melody note when you played it? It was too quiet. <laughs> I didn't hit it hard enough. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, have you noticed, so, so we've got da, 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 that beat, da. Mm -hmm. Do you notice the tone colour, the texture of that note? Do you notice the tone colour of the notes as um, all relative to each other? Or do you just listen for each one fresh? No, I do hear it okay. together, yeah. Do you notice that B, or is your mind thinking about the jump back down to the E? Um, play, play and see if you can yeah, notice. Yeah, I know what you mean. Ah! Was it a bit too thumpy before? Um, I think you weren't aware of it. There, yeah, yeah, like and that. you heard it. Now you're aware of it, yeah. but before you weren't aware of it. Yes, yes. There's like a thing called an attentional blink where you're thinking about moving down to the next note and uh, suddenly that note doesn't get heard. Yes. But let's explore some of the other, other ones and then I think we'll have to wrap up fairly soon. So in the first episode, we talked about the right hemisphere is about getting on socially with other members of our animal species, as I uh, called it at the time, because we were talking about animals. So basically, we're in our right hemisphere, uh, predominantly, when we are being sociable, when uh, being successfully sociable. Uh, the left brain hemisphere is like uh, people are just objects, uh, and uh, we don't get a feeling for, for how people are feeling. We don't feel empathy. You know, all these things are kind mm. of right brain hemisphere. So I think sometimes when we play classical music, especially classical music sometimes, we can get dragged into a very unhealthy state where our goal is to be competent, is to play well, is for other people to see us as being good. And we lose really the whole point of whatever made us learn an instrument and what music is there for. Music is there to connect with people's emotions. It's there to be sociable. And, and when people look um, at the brain, uh, at brain scans, when people are listening to music, Brain uh, um, music activates the same parts of the brain that social interaction does. When you're playing now this time, there's so many ways we can do this. There's so many ways. But one of the ones that I like to do is you imagine that you're having a conversation 
with a very, very close friend of yours. And this close friend of yours, they've had a really dramatic day. And you say to them, how was your day? And they go, well, and then you listen to them. And the, the music isn't you. The music is, is your friend describing what kind of a day they, they've had. And you're just listening and empathizing. Mm, awesome. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so many things so, going wrong yeah. there. <laughs> um, now, you know, sometimes what's useful about that, and, and admittedly, that's often quite helpful once we start to get to know the notes of a mm-hmm. piece of music better. But what's useful is that so much of the time, I think one of the things that I try and help my students with is the sheer amount of left brain mental effort that they try to bring to play the music well in a way that that's, it's too much too much um, thinking, too much control, rather than being receptive, rather than just feeling how the music's going to go and then just letting it flow. So when you were playing that time, could you get a feeling that this music, it's someone else's nervous system, it's not you. Mm. You don't have to do anything. You just listen and then it just flows through you. Could you get a sense of that? Not when I don't know a piece at all, no. I think that's the, this is the, the biggest limiting factor, I think, right now for me. Mm. Is that to put all of this into practice when I don't even know the piece is incredibly okay. difficult. But then, no, maybe when you know a piece a little bit more, some of these things I can see more okay. easily how they'd come into practice. Let me show you very quickly yeah. how I'd get to know. Uh, you can stay where you are, okay. but uh, this is the way that I'd get these notes under my fingers really quickly. So when I want just to get the feeling of notes in the new piece, very often I will block them. So what we can do is we can play the first three notes. Now, you won't be able to stretch that, but what you can do is just that. Mm-hmm. Get, get, get that feeling under your fingers so that you don't even have to think about it, right? Then, for the next three notes. Oh, sorry, it's, it's not that. It's that for the next three <laughs> notes. Right, now just go... Uh, sorry, what are the notes? Uh, oh, it's here, yeah. Um, and then just do that. Um, and then, um, yeah. Um, go a bit slower and make sure you get the G and listen for that G. Uh, sorry, yeah, it's that, yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oops, finger one now, to the F. And then you do that until you can do this in your sleep. You just don't right. even need to think about it. Shouldn't take that long. <laughs> can you close your eyes and, and, and do it? Okay, now now can you then can you then add keep doing it um, and then I'll add how how the right hand is going to fit. So and then, like this or um, yeah, like... keep going, keep going, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah anyway, well, whatever. Oh, yeah. So do that with your right hand as well as the left hand. Fast. 
Now, ah, now, now wait, no. wait, wait, wait. Now, suddenly <laughs> something's difficult wrong. here. Yeah. Why is this difficult? Because I'm going to say it's because your left brain is kicking in. Because it's not actually difficult. No. What is it? What is it about your the, the left brain? What is what's going on in the mind? Is there something in the mind that goes that, that that's the reason why suddenly there's a narrow focusing? And are you suddenly narrow focusing at that point? Uh, I think it's just pressure of recording. Uh, partly, it's okay. partly that. Um, it's also the fact that all of this is brand new. I think. And are you still feeling your left hand when you get to bar two? When the right hand comes in, or no. do you suddenly, yeah? So go from the beginning. Da, 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 notice what it feels like to the left hand, and then when you come in in bar two, still notice what your left hand feels like. Okay, doing so. St- yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then focus on the sensation in your left hand now. Yeah, it's that simple. And then we don't need to we don't need to worry about the next bit. So it was simple, but the reason why it wasn't simple is because you were yanked away from the physical sensations into the left brain narrow focus. Mm-hmm. Um, feeling what's going on in the hands and the fingers and the wrists and the arms, we need the right hemisphere to do that. Mm-hmm. Which is why when all my students over and over are like, no, but I have to be left brain hemisphere. I have to be like this. It's it's. It's like, yeah, that's what your left brain hemisphere is screaming at you. But actually, no, you have to feel it. And when you feel it with your body and you learn it with your body, you will learn it quicker. Mm. And so all of these loads of all these things I was talking about with Yaisa that I've barely even gone into any of them. But I could go through them one by one of all of the things that I've said with Yaisa that might not have seemed that helpful. But all of the thing, things like, like, let me just quickly uh, go through some of the ones that were in the, the first episode. So interconnected relationships, threats to the ego, sense of being competent, the, the left hemisphere being close to anything new that, that contradicts uh, held beliefs, things like how confident we're feeling, experimenting with what I call the, the blue sky mind, being more aware of different sensations in the body, not just like in the wrist and the, and the fingers, thinking about language, thinking about metaphors, thinking about tools, all these kinds of things. That if, um, And maybe uh, if Cheryl is brave enough to do another episode and, and we can go to some of these other kinds of things, I can show how all these other things are extra tools that we can use to pull us away from this left brain hemisphere dominant way of learning something. And when we're in that, the left brain hemisphere is like, yeah, but I have to do this because I don't know it because I'm not good at it yet. It has to be this one thing at a time. But I hope that I'm demonstrating to people who are listening that although Cheryl feels very understandably like we all do at times, but I have to, but I have to be in this left brain state because I don't know it yet, that actually, no, you actually are better than you think you are. And you could go to a right brain hemisphere state when your left brain hemisphere is grabbing on going, no, no, I have to do this. I can't do this. Um, that actually some things your right brain hemisphere can do well before the left brain hemisphere can do them. Mm. And I think that would that, that's, I think, a, a natural place to, to stop and get to. You've given me so much of your time. You've been so generous. No, no, so no, so thank you for that. 
But yeah, I hope this has been really interesting to the, the people listening. And uh, all, all the usual blah, blah, blah now at the end. You know, if you enjoy the podcast, please do like and subscribe and uh, do all the things that, that help support the channel. Um, thank you so much for listening. And um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping to have Cheryl back, yeah. although Cheryl's super busy. So it might be a little while, but, uh, but I'm looking forward to that. And uh, thank you so much, Cheryl, for, for uh, taking part in this. And I've really enjoyed no, that. Thank you. I've so, learned yeah. loads. <laughs> okay, excellent. So thanks very much. And goodbye to everyone who's listening. Bye. Bye.